thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, we are continuing our sermon series titled New, which is taking us through the book of Ephesians. Renus will be looking at the text Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and how God has given us new strength. Renus looks at this prayer and makes note of how different it is than the way we often pray. He also looks at, though, how we sometimes feel alone, that God's spirit is always with us and is strengthening us, and not just us as individuals, but us as the church. As Mike mentioned earlier, we are in, we're about halfway through our series on Ephesians, and we're about halfway through the book, so things are lining up nicely. Uh, Ephesians typically, uh, if you do any background reading on Ephesians, people will say it sort of breaks into two parts broadly. Verse, verses, or chapters 1, 2, and 3 tend to be a little bit more theologically dense, uh, lots of big ideas and uh, theology thoughts about who God is, who we are in Christ. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 get more into uh, practical outworkings of that. I've always found those distinctions not entirely right, uh, in that it makes it sound like theology is not practical and practical life isn't theological. Um, they, they actually do blend. But there is a bit of a, there's a shift in style at the very least, and we're coming right to that fulcrum, that that middle piece where Paul's going to shift style. And he begins this section, uh, chapter 3, with these words. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, And then he goes on this really big tangent. He's like, oh, perhaps you haven't heard that I was a prisoner. And he's talking a little bit about what that's all about and how it's a good thing and and how it's part of God's larger plan. And it's this big tangent. But he begins by saying, for this reason. And whenever you read a word like that in, in Scripture, a phrase like that, or the word therefore, it's referring back to something. So, what is Paul referring back to? For this reason, what reason, Paul? Well, everything he's already said to you in chapters 1 and 2. And let me just quickly remind you, I'll put this chart up there. Let me quickly remind you, Sean, if you'd keep this up there for the online folks for a moment. Uh, This is the reason that Paul is reminding you of, that in Christ... As he talks about in chapter 1, this is what Caleb uh, laid out for us a couple weeks ago in a sermon. We've been chosen. We have been adopted. We've received grace. We've received redemption. Big word there, redemption. We've, We've been saved. We've been forgiven in Christ. The mystery has been made known. This is this apocalypse, this revelation, this pulling back of the veil that God makes known to us his ways, his character. We've been given hope for a future, and we've been given the Holy Spirit. That is an amazing list of gifts given. Um, And it sort of falls under this idea of this is who you are in Christ, your identity. But also, he says, for this reason, what he's been talking about in chapter 2, which is what I tried to outline for you last week. 
that in Christ you've been made alive. That the things of Jesus start exciting you more and more and the things of the world or the things of death or the powers of death feel less and less attractive. They just don't make sense anymore because we've been made alive with Christ. And, and he says, because we're alive with Christ as a community, we've been brought together through Christ. This is this whole idea of the, the distinctions that we previously had or perhaps still have in the world, gender, um, perhaps uh, occupation, socioeconomic class, ethnicity, all of those distinctions that exist don't matter in the church because we're brought together as a community, one body uh, united in Christ. And then we become this dwelling place of God. The God sort of, this is temple language that Paul's drawing from, that the temple was created, it, it was understood to be the place that God dwells. And Paul in this turn of phrase says, you're that temple. You, you all, y'all, remember that? Y'all, y'all the temple. God dwells here among this community um, because of all of what Jesus has done. So this is the gift we're given, his presence uh, among us. Right, So that's when he says, for this reason, he's referring back to a boatload of stuff. And he wants you to remember it. But then he goes on this tangent, which I'm actually going to skip over. Uh, it's good stuff, but I'm just going to skip over it because he picks up the phrase, for this reason, in verse 14. The tangent's over. He's a little aside. He gets back to what he's wanting to write about, uh, what he started out writing about. And for this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father. I pray. So for all of these things, that's great, Sean, thank you. For all of these things, he now turns to prayer. And we want to look briefly at this prayer. It is a marvelous prayer. What Paul prays, what Paul's concerns are for the church. But before I uh, walk you through a few things, I have a couple things I want you to pay attention to. Um, Katie and I were chatting a little bit about this text a few weeks ago, and she wondered, and I agree, that we're just going to, um, we're going to read this. There's a, a form of reading in Christian uh, history called Lectio, Lectio Divina, sacred Divina, Lectio reading, Latin words, where we get words like lecture and lectionary. Um, so all we're going to do is read the prayer slowly. Okay, this, is, this has been done for centuries in the Christian church. An invitation to hear God's word and just to sit with the text. Which actually is how the Ephesians would have received the text, the Ephesian church. They didn't, I mean, they had a letter. Somebody was reading off a, a parchment of some kind. But everybody else was just, they were oral listeners. They were listening to what Paul was writing and we invite you into that space. So the way we're going to do that, in a moment I'll ask Katie to come. We're going to read this prayer three times. She'll read it twice, I'll read it once. And after each time it's read, we're just going to have some quiet, a pause. Uh, these musicians will be playing uh, just instrumentally in the background just to kind of cover over the rustling of paper or coughs and all of that stuff. But 
Uh, we'll all be quiet, and we're just going to invite you to hear the text. And I'll just walk you through it as we go through it. You'll, the first time, invite you just to, are there words or phrases that capture you, that just leap off the page? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But just as you hear the text, what is it that, that catches you in this prayer? Uh, what is it, perhaps you, even though you might be very familiar with the prayer, you hear for the first time? And we'll just take, we'll read and sit in quiet for a moment. Then we'll read again, and the invitation is just to sit with that word, hear it again. And, and, and hear the question, what is it that God is saying to you directly through this text, this prayer? And again, there'll be a time of, of quiet, and then the text will get read a third time. Um, and an invitation to consider, is there a response to what God is saying to you? Um, how might God invite you to respond? Maybe it's just simply to rest, to be in his presence. Maybe it, it invites you to, to some action. I don't know. So that's the movement, okay? There won't be any surprises. This, isn't, I, I, this is not unfamiliar to many of you, but it's not truly, hear me, it's not a weird practice. This is embedded in the Christian, uh, in Christian history. Um, it's just, a, and there's nothing magical about it. We're not trying to pretend that. We're just inviting you in the busyness of life, to just slow down and hear God's word read. So, Katie, please. You can follow along if you wish. Um, it won't be on the screen, so we're not going to put this on the screen, Sean, because um, we've changed the text a little bit. Uh, so there'll be no slide here, but uh, just if you want to follow along, it's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Uh, from the NIV translation, which is the Bible that's uh, in some of the, the backs of the chairs. Um, yeah, Katie, when you're ready, lead us in the first reading. And I just invite you to hear God's word and if there are any particular words or phrases that really capture your attention. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
invite you to hear the text a second time. And as you hear perhaps a word or a phrase that has caught your attention, or perhaps it's the overall prayer, just ask what is it that God might be saying to you through these words. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.
invite you to hear the text one last time. Katie will read. And as you sit with these words one more time, I invite you again just to hear the words or perhaps a word or a phrase. Um, and again, just what, how might God be inviting you to respond? Again, the response might simply be to rest. But it may be something else. I don't know. I'll leave that with you. Uh, but just hear this text a third and last time. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, I too pray for the church, this particular church, Varsity Bible Church. I pray that 
this community and the people in it would be strengthened with power by your spirit. That Christ may dwell, live, be alive in their hearts. And I pray that being rooted and established in love. That each one of us, together with all of your people around the world, the large family of God, we would be able to grasp in some small way to understand how incredibly huge your love is. A reflection of how incredibly huge you are. And may we in small ways, but very real ways, know and experience this love that surpasses all human knowledge. That we, God, Varsity Bible Church, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a prayer. God, hear this prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that wasn't entirely weird, I think. Uh, or not weird in the way you might think it was. It probably was weird because you had to slow down, sit in silence, which are sometimes unusual experiences in our fairly uh, frenetic culture. Uh, but it is one way. I'm not even saying it's the way. It is a way to read Scripture, especially texts like this, where we said earlier parts of Ephesians 1 that are so rich and full uh, just to reread and sit quietly with these words. And so I invite you to do that uh, in, in the coming week. Uh, go back to this prayer. Let me just say a few words about it, because what strikes me initially about the prayer is the way Paul prays, and in particular what Paul prays, is very different than what I normally pray. I'm normally praying that, you know, uh, you know my vacation plans will work out or that I'll be healthy, or that uh, it won't be cold. Um, that one didn't get heard this morning, but uh, I digress. I, but you see, like my, my concerns in prayer aren't necessarily bad, but they're a little bit sort of me-centered. Paul has something different in mind as he's praying for the church. Four things come up in this prayer uh, that, that, that we, or the church, uh, initially the Ephesian church he's writing to, echoes out to us, Varsity Bible Church, would be strengthened by his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. It's sort of a two-part first part of his prayer. And then the second part also has two parts, that we'd be able to grasp this love that has incredible dimensions and that we would know this love that surpasses all knowledge. Let me just say very quickly a few things about these. They're important, I think. Uh, remember that as he prays that God will strengthen you by his spirit, remember he's calling you back to what God's already given, and God's already given you his spirit. 
This is not a prayer that you'll receive God's Spirit. That's been given. This is that you'll be strengthened by the Spirit. That has already been given to you. Um, And you could actually just dwell on that phrase for a while. Uh, What strikes me about that is that God is uh, offering and willing to help. And I, I won't get into all of my backstory, but that is an important thing for me to hear because I haven't always felt like people are helping me. I've often felt alone in the things that I'm facing. And what Paul is praying is that you're not alone, actually. God is, by his Spirit, with you, giving you strength for the things you're facing. The second part of that first petition, that God will strengthen us by his Spirit so that Christ will dwell in your hearts, uh, if you've been grown up in, in Christian circles, uh, which is great if you have, if you've grown up in Christian circles, the language of Christ dwelling in your heart might be familiar to you. It's often um, talked about as, as sort of, hey, you pray uh, to receive Jesus into your heart and connect it to salvation. The one time that I can see that Paul uses the phrase, it isn't about salvation, actually. Uh, these people that he's writing to are ready Christians, He's not writing that they receive Jesus into their heart. He's just saying that Christ would dwell there ever more, more fully. It's about becoming more and more alive in Christ. It's allowed, allowed, about letting Jesus, if you can forgive the analogy, sort of seep into every part of you, literally. That Christ would make his home more and more in you. This is the temple language he's picking up, right? Where does God dwell? In the Old Testament, God dwells in the tabernacle. God dwells in, in, the, in the later temple. And Paul's already said, you are, you, you all, y'all are that temple. And God dwells with you. And he's just praying that God would dwell more, more fully in you, in your life. That too is a a phrase worth sort of uh, dwelling on, pun intended. And then he moves into this second. So he says, I pray, and two parts. And then he says, I pray, and also two parts. And this uh, gets pretty fascinating too, that you may grasp the sheer dimensions of God's love. And I I don't know, you may not have uh, received the same instruction I did or received or picked up things by osmosis the way I did, but I've often read that is that you would read, you know, how wide and deep and long and high God's love for me is, right? We tack on the word for me, um, and that's not actually in the text at all. He's not asking you to dwell on God's love for you as a singular individual. He's asking you to dwell on God's love, and I know that sounds a little different, or maybe I'm splitting hairs, but it's sort of the difference between, you know, like as you go to the Grand Canyon and they're like at the Grand Canyon, they pull out their phone and they take picture themselves in the Grand Canyon and what you see is them in the picture and you forget the Grand Canyon's there. Okay, I'm not real supportive of selfies, obviously. Um, take a picture of the Grand Canyon without you in it, if you ever go. And marvel at the greatness of it. And what Paul is praying is that for sure we're caught up in it. You're standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon. You are there. I trust you. You took the picture. And you're caught up in God's love. It is how great God's love is for you. But the the subtle shift is it becomes about you, about me actually. 
And what Paul is praying is that you just understand the dimensions of God's love. The implications of this is, is actually pretty huge, right? So he's writing to Ephesians who are living in the heart of the Roman Empire. So it's not just the dimensions of God's love for the Ephesian church. It is that. But now they're invited to think about the dimensions of God's love. And maybe that includes the emperor. Huh. Maybe... That person's not beyond God's love. God might not be thrilled with everything the emperor is doing, but maybe God's love is big enough to include the emperor or to at least reach out to the emperor, right? So this is why, God, why Paul is praying that the Ephesians would, would, would grasp, just in some small way, the immense dimensions of God's love. It's because the implications are way bigger. It's not just God's love for me. It's God's love, God's love. And then the second part of this second petition there is that you may know this love that surpasses all knowledge, right? This, uh, that in English is an oxymoron, that you know something you can't possibly know. Uh, but there's something else embedded in here that I've missed. Um, the first is, as I've already tried to remind you this morning, is keep in mind that Paul is writing to a community of people, y'all. Okay, it's not just that you, Corey, or you, Sherilyn, or you, Daniel, or you, Susan, will know. It is that, but it's more you all, y'all would know. It's a communal invitation, and it's important we catch this. The second is the way, as Westerners, we think about knowing. We think about knowing as a sort of this brain-numbing exercise of like hitting the books and just reading and being bored to tears in school. If you're in like grade five or six, you might, oh, they're not in the room. So, um, but you might remember school a bit that way, or maybe you loved school. I don't know. I'm not knocking school, but we tend to think of learning as we've got to like, in my day, it would have been read books. In, in, in our younger generation's day, it's uh, watch more stuff online and connect the D2L, whatever that is, and all that stuff. But it's sort of this head knowledge that you've got to cram more in. And so we read this text as not only uh, do I need to know more, but um, I hear that as I need to study more. And again, that's I'm not saying that's not good or, or part of what's going on in the text. But I think... What Paul's getting at is far more relational than that. Um, and why would I say that? How would I know that? Well, already because of what he's already been talking about in Ephesians. Remember, he's calling you back to things in chapters 1 and chapter 2. Uh, chapter 1, our identity in Christ, which is a relational identity. We've been adopted. We've been chosen. It's a relational thing. And in chapter 2, it's a relational identity in the church. You've been brought together. So it's not just a bunch of individual pods, but it's y'all. Also, because Paul is Jewish, and the Jewish way of knowing is relational. Right? Adam knew Eve, and they had a baby. And I'm going to suggest to you they're reading more than books to make that happen. Okay? It's relational. And all of this gets sort of brought up in this attempt. So what he's saying is when he's praying that we would uh, relationally know, or perhaps I could use the English word experience. And how do we experience the dimensions of God's love? 
but we live in community. We live with one another is how we experience the dimensions of God's love. As I live alongside you and you alongside me, as we rub shoulders, as we get along, as we don't get along. In fact, Tim Mackey in the Bible Project says this in his Ephesians course, there are depths and dimensions of the love of God that are impossible to experience without regularly surrounding ourselves with followers of Jesus who are not like us. Okay, there's the quote. There are depths and dimensions of the love of God. That's what he's praying for us to know that are actually impossible for us to experience without regularly surrounding ourselves with other followers of Jesus who are not like us. Right? That means that as I journey with people who think differently than me and who sometimes um, annoy me, and I think, oh, you're wrong on that, actually. As I try and journey with them, as I surround myself at least with some of these people and listen to them more carefully, there are things that sharpen in me. I actually understand God's love in a greater way. The, the ultimate, of course, is marriage, which Paul will bring up in chapter 5. He uses the marriage example and the family example in chapter 5. And, and that's sort of the, if, if you allow it, it's the place where you really are, like, we don't always get along, Cheryl and I. That's not, I'm not revealing anything that you don't all know if you're married. You don't all get along all of the time. But as we misunderstand each other and then circle back and try to listen more carefully to one another and as we learn to forgive and as we learn to accommodate and as we just learn uh, from the other, I experience dimensions of the love of Jesus that there's actually no other place for me to learn that. And Paul will extend that into the household as he talks about uh, uh, children and parents and household servants are included in this. And the household, and the household image is the very one that he used in chapter 2 about the church. And so as we journey together, we might not all get along, but it allows us to explore these dimensions of God's love as we learn to forgive, as we learn to be patient, as we learn to be compassionate, as we learn to be merciful, the same way that God forgives. God is gracious. God is compassionate. God is merciful. Right? Do you see how that plays out? So this is the prayer that you, um, that Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. It echoes out to us. Um, I want to give you fair warning. <laughs> um, this is going to be my prayer for Varsity Bible Church in the coming months. I have an alarm set uh, that every morning I will spend, uh, when the alarm goes, I will try to make my way to the prayer room and this will be my prayer for you, for this community, that we would experience the vast dimensions of God's love together. So, let me leave it here where Paul leaves it. Um, You've already heard the text through our Lectio readings, our, our sort of slow, quiet readings. Perhaps there's something that has grabbed you there. By all means, please, please sit with that. Take that with you today. Chew on it some more. Journal if that's your practice. Write some things down about that phrase or that word that has grabbed you 
Um, if you want to follow up more on, on the things that I've said, we actually do post discussion questions online. They're intended for small group use, but they're available to you. Uh, you can pull them off. They're just... They're on Sermons Plus, if you're familiar with that part of our website, you can find it. There's, uh, I think it is literally called Discussion Questions, and you can pull them off. You could use them in a small group, if your small group's following along. You could use them around um, your dining table, if you want, or with a friend, or just by yourself, if you want to reflect further. But where Paul leaves it is where we're going to leave it. Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. So after he's prayed these four things, that we would be strengthened by his spirit, that Christ would dwell within us, that we'd be able to grasp the dimensions of God's love and that we'd experience this love relationally. He ends with actually where he started the letter, which is praise or doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is a work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And as we are thinking through uh, this text and this worship gathering, we want to just follow Paul's lead on this. So, the invitation or the, the prayer gives way to worship, which is precisely where we're going. I'm going to invite the team back up if you want to just take your spots, and they're just going to lead you in a little bit more worship as a response to this amazing, incredible love of God that is bigger than I think we've ever dared imagine. So let me pray, and then I will allow this team to lead us in response. God, I do pray that we might be rooted and established in your love. Rooted in the sense that, uh, that, that your love would hold us when life batters us. that we would um, be confident, not in ourselves, but confident in you. Confident that your love is still, is still holding us, still with us. That your love is enough, that your love is big enough. That we would be rooted and established. That your love would keep us as a community and us as people in this community firm. God, I thank you that we've been caught up in a much bigger story. And the central character is a much bigger God whose posture toward creation is a much bigger love. than I ever dared imagine.
Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons. Thank you.